Welcome back to What You Alone. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. We just interviewed and were very lucky enough to interview Robert C. Aldini, who is an absolute weapon in terms of psychology. Mate, he's the godfather of influence and persuasion. He wrote the um, cult classic Influence in 1984 and his second book, Persuasion, in 2016, both absolute 10 out of 10s. We've now read and reviewed both of those books and we're both absolute massive fans of them. So, we had the opportunity here to go a bit deeper and take these principles and bring them down to your everyday life kind of stuff. So, things like, you know, first impressions, job interview tactics and how to get social proof when you're just starting out. Mate, he's an absolute weapon. I loved it. Uh, If you haven't read the books yet, strongly recommend. And if you want to just get a little taste, uh, there's a a 10-minute little YouTube video that... Uh, is in the description, which is definitely a, would give you a good intro into influence. Mm, that's it. The big bad, Robert, Robert. Cialdini. Cialdini. So many people must be asking you for interviews and you've obviously got so little time with other things going on. Why did you choose to come on our show today? Well, um, there are uh, a couple of reasons at least. Uh, first of all, I got a recommendation from from someone I trust, uh, my associate Babette uh, Gordon, who uh, had some phone exchanges with you and told me that you were the real thing, that you were uh, people who thought hard about the issues and uh, were worthy of a, an, an opportunity to uh, to think and talk together. That's one. Uh, you also sent me some information indicating that Individuals like me, uh, Dan Ariely, uh, Daniel Pink, uh, Chip Heath, and so on, uh, had been uh, interviewed by your organization and your 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 for your audience. And uh, I have a lot of uh, respect for them, and so I thought if they did it, it must be the right thing. And finally, I think we had uh, some similar values. Uh, you sent me some information that indicated that. Uh, you believe that the world would be a better place if people read books instead of traditional media such as reality TV. And I agree with that. So for all those reasons, I was happy to uh, seize this opportunity uh, for an interview. That sounds like uh, authority, social proof, and liking right there, three of the weapons of influence. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) Now you are, you mentioned... um, reality TV and that's something that is really prevalent in a lot of people's lives and, and uh, looking at the media, we get probably told to be scared of what's going around the world and we get hijacked with our brains. So, and it sounds a lot like the uh, the focusing illusion, which you also talk about in persuasion. So, I'd like to know what kind of media you consume and what is your strategy for filtering information into your life in the world. Well, I do try to be um, uh, wide-ranging in the uh, the kind of um, media that I consume. I I think that it makes sense not to narrow our perspective, but to get as much information as possible. But of course, there have to be filters on it, and so uh, what I do is to trust um, on author- uh, trust authority and social proof. I. I look at those uh, uh, those uh, sources of communication that one have um, expertise uh, and uh, 
expert authority voices speaking uh, in their behalf, and also social proof, uh, which are the individuals who have gotten a lot of um, a lot of popularity as a result of what they have to offer. I like um, how a lot of your stuff is about uh, sales and marketing and a lot of academic studies and stuff, but we want to sort of bring it down to uh, individuals uh, if it was uh, applicable to you know people on a personal basis or people in their day-to-day work. So one of the examples we're thinking of is persuasion on a, on a personal level in terms of when you first meet someone, what can we do to leave a, a good impression or to be remembered positively? Well, uh, it turns out that uh, what we do first is crucially important because the um, the characteristic we we display initially uh, to others is the one that they use to frame and understand all of our subsequent interactions and characteristics that we display to them. So I would say start with your strengths. Be sure that people uh, recognize those features that you have that you want them to to uh, use to um, uh, to interpret what comes next. Mm, I like it. And one thing that's probably related to this is the idea of presentation skills and, and how well you're groomed. <clears throat> I know me and Adam here, we aren't the best dressers in the world. And at the moment, rightly or wrongly, I personally don't see high value in, in clothes. But is this the wrong way of looking at things and clothes and presentation like this should be seen as a good investment? I think so, uh, because even before you open your mouth, people are going to assess some aspects of who who you are, what your personality traits are likely to be, based on the first thing they see. So uh, my guess is uh, you wouldn't want to look sloppy. You wouldn't want to look careless. Um, But uh, then take into account the norms of your audience and uh, be aware of uh, the the level at which uh, they are dressed. If it's a, a business um, organization, they might be dressed uh, more uh, one level up from uh, uh, the way you might ordinarily dress, but you might want to match that. Um, so these first impressions, again, are crucial to the whole idea of persuasion. Uh, we put people in a state of mind uh, that is that is aligned with where we want them to go next. Yeah, I like that a lot. And can you give us uh, maybe one of your one of your favorite persuasion stories? Perhaps uh, the moment you realized. So you'd written Influence, you know, over thirty years ago, and you hadn't written another book. And then uh, you realized the day that someone didn't use any of those six things of influence, but was still able to uh, to influence you. I guess. Can you tell us that story of how you got into this world of persuasion? Uh, surely, I was uh, at home. It was a Saturday. There was a knock at the door, and I opened it to find a man who was asking for a contribution to uh, a charitable uh, cause. It was uh, it was after school programs for children in my school district, and it seemed like a good cause. But he didn't give me any evidence that he was from my school district and I hadn't heard that there was going to be um, such a, a, a new program. Uh, 
but I wound up giving him more money than I normally do for people who come to my door, even those with the, the proper credentials. And uh, after I closed the door and recognized that I had done this, it occurred to me that he didn't use any of the six principles of influence that I had covered in my book, uh, Influence, uh, and that had made me uh, actually uh, a good deal of money over the years, uh, uh, claiming that these were the the, the ways that uh, people needed to uh, convince others using one or another of these six principles. He didn't use authority. That is, he didn't uh, tell me that he was coming from the um, from the school board and uh, give me examples of their comments. Um, he didn't use social proof. He didn't tell me that uh, all my neighbors had already been giving him donations. He didn't use liking. He didn't compliment me on my landscaping. Uh, he didn't use scarcity. He didn't say, uh, we only have a limited time uh, to, to get this program uh, underway. Uh, before the next school year begins, but I gave him all this money, <laughs> and I thought to myself, there must be something other than the six principles of influence that uh, are leading that that led me to this decision to contribute. And I realized that it was something he did before he ever said a word uh, to me. He brought his seven-year-old daughter with him. And he focused me on children, on children's challenges, on children's uh, needs. And that focus on the uh, on, on causes that would benefit children then became very important in my eyes because I was indeed paying attention to a child. And that is a classic example of persuasion in which uh, a communicator puts an audience member in a state of mind that is consistent with the request or the recommendation that will come later. Uh, so I was put in mind of children and their needs. And then when he presented his case for the importance of after-school programs for children, I was already persuaded to be uh, sympathetic to that point of view. Mm, I like it a lot. And, and you say that uh, you know, having these things, you know, putting it into focus things uh, bringing to attention strengths or focusing you on say the you know the child in leading you to then give more towards a, a children's charity so that's a you talk about how importance uh comes from attention and we also assign causality to it so can you tell us about how you know things that we focus on um tend to then skew our judgment of those things yeah there's a there's a study i love to uh use as an exemplar for how this works. It was a study done by some researchers who were aligned with um, an online furniture store that specialized in sofas. And they, they arranged for a test in which 
half of the visitors to this uh, online site uh, went to a landing page that had as its background fluffy clouds. The other half of the visitors went to uh, a comparable site. Um, the only difference was that the background wallpaper of the of the landing page had pennies instead of clouds. Then they tracked what the uh, visitors to these two kinds of sites uh, did when they decided how to search the site and what to purchase. It turns out that those who were sent to the site with clouds in the background rated comfort as more important for them in deciding which kind of sofa they wanted to purchase. They also searched the site for comfort-related information about the various options that were available there. And then finally, and most importantly, they preferred to purchase more comfortable furniture. Those who went to the site um, with pennies, small coins, they rated cost as most important for them in deciding what to purchase. They searched the site for, um, for price-related information about the various options, and they preferred to purchase inexpensive furniture as a consequence. And when they were asked, uh, so did the image images on the, um, the, the, the background wallpaper influence you at all? Clouds or coins? They laughed. Said, of not. course not. <laughs> of course not. I'm a freestanding entity. I make my decisions based on my internal preferences. Never recognizing that their internal preferences were temporarily adjusted, temporarily influenced by what they saw first. And then their subsequent behavior became aligned with that initial concept that they were made to pay attention to. Mm. Yeah, we are. We always assume that we're rational, but deep down we've been proven by your books and many others that maybe not we're so rational. So I'd like to know how we could use this same kind of thing. And, you know, in that case, we're changing the website background to influence a direction or a line of thinking. How can we do that in our, say, our work setup or our desk or our everyday lives in terms of our geography to set ourselves up yeah. for success in whatever projects we're trying to accomplish? Now, that's a great question because it depends on the, the nature of the task that you have in front of you. So if you, for example, have a task in which it's going to require a lot of effort um, and energy, uh, drive on your part. Let's say you need to recruit a lot of people to come to a particular presentation that you're going to make or uh, to, uh, uh, to receive um, uh, a, a document you're going to send, a sales um, uh, material of one sort or another, um, and you're, you're trying to get a lot of people 
to come to a particular uh, uh, opportunity that you have. What you might want to do, and there's research to show this, is put a picture of a runner winning a race. One, a picture that's associated with achievement and drive and physical energy next to you as you're performing this task. Right? And research shows if you've done this, you significantly increase the likelihood that you will, in fact, exhibit those behaviors. If, on the other hand, the task requires a different form of uh, approach in order to be successful, let's say it is to think deeply about what you should be saying to those individuals when they do appear uh, and you are making your presentation to them exactly what you should say, what the sequence should be, what the logical uh, uh, approach uh, is in your presentation, then you want to have a different image next to you as you, as you think through that uh, design of your presentation. And research shows that a picture of Rodin's The Thinker, of course, that famous sculpture of the individual, the man who's uh, with uh, chin on his uh, on his uh, his hand, thinking deeply, and research shows that individuals who are exposed to that image while they're solving difficult analytical problems score forty eight percent better on those problems as a consequence. So I was just going to say, it's like you know, such a cheap. It's, you know, it'll be less than $50 or something to implement these around your workspace, but the productivity you get would be, you know, multiples in terms of value you get in return for these real simple actions. Yeah, and I think the key is to uh, put those um, cues that you want to employ in the workspace either far away or close, depending on which goal you have, which kind of task you have, right? I did that for, uh, for myself when I was writing the book uh, Persuasion. Uh, I wanted it to be a book that had legs that would be relevant not just today or at the time that it was launched, but years into the future that people would be able to read it and say, all right, these are universal, um, these are universal truths here. Uh, I can still operate on the basis of this information uh, 10, 15 years in the future. Right? So here's what I did. I said to my, um, I, I have three grandchildren. And I said to their mother, uh, when I finish this book, I want you to give a copy of this book to each of the kids when they are old enough to read it. Right? And show them the dedication. I dedicated this book to them. Right? Okay. Well, what I did was to put a picture of my grandchildren next to my computer screen as I wrote this book. Because the idea was not for now, but for the future. What information is going to be stable enough? 
is going to be durable enough, is going to be valid enough, that in 15 years, when my youngest granddaughter reads this book, it will still be a good book. So that's what I did. I played that trick on myself uh, after reading this research. Yeah. Nice. It's, it's crazy to think that something um, so innocuous, you know, just a, a picture in the background can significantly change what we're doing, even though we're not really consciously thinking that at the time, uh, yes. here's a statue of the thinker, so I need to think really hard. It just sort of happens um, <laughs> just in the background, which is crazy. You're, yeah, that's right. You're being, you're being constantly cued to the idea of deep analysis. Every time you lift your head, every with every um, uh, with every sight line, if if it makes contact with something that has that um, idea at its base, you will be cued to that idea and will likely to behave in a way that's aligned with it. Just the way those people who saw soft clouds were cued to the idea of comfort and then chose to purchase softer sofas. I mean, these background factors, uh, you find them everywhere. There's a study that showed that if um, a wine shop is playing French music when customers come in, they're more likely to buy a French vintage. If it's playing German music, they're more likely to buy a German vintage. That's crazy, isn't it? I wanted to circle back to the the very start. Our first question, how we're asking about, uh, you know, why did you come on the show? It wasn't just for us to get some some compliments and and fluff ourselves up. It was a uh, obviously you had uh, some aspects of influence there, but I think you've also got some advice for people in their own job interviews, perhaps to ask a persuasive question like that. Yes. Um, so if you're in a, a job interview, typically you go into a setting, there's an evaluator, there's sometimes um, uh, multiple evaluators, and, and your, your task, of course, is to convince them to hire you. And what we typically are taught to say uh, is, I'm very glad that you invited me here, and I want to be sure that I uh, give you all the information I, I can uh, that will help you make your decision. Right? That's typically what we are supposed to say. I'm going to recommend that we say one more thing. We say, but before we begin, I wonder if you could um, answer a question for me. Why did you invite me here today? What was it about my background, my experience, my resume that made you think that I was a a good candidate for this job. And what will happen is these evaluators will then become focused on your strengths, on the reasons that they brought you there, and they will describe them and will make a verbal commitment to being attracted to you for these strengths. I have a I have an acquaintance who claims he's gotten three straight better jobs using this strategy. <laughs> That's so good. And as soon as they start saying the positive things then, you know, it's the principle of consistency that 
they're going to be consistent with the things they've said and then take that on board as well, I'd imagine. I'd like to also, perhaps as we come toward the end, is these are all so powerful weapons we can use in our lives. We can use them for positive or we can also go down the negative part. So in terms of ethics, how important are the is the ethics component? And if you're not doing it eth- ethically, does it actually lose its power anyway? Well, I think it is crucial to do things ethically uh, uh, because we want not just to do well, we want to do good when, uh, as doing well. So we want to convince people in ways that are going to uh, increase their outcomes as well as ours. Because if we don't, they're unlikely to want to return to any interactions with us. If they find themselves moved in the direction of poor choices by virtue of some kind of trickery that we've employed. So my, my sense is that the, the, the way to, uh, to use persuasion uh, most ethically is to identify that feature of what you have to offer, that component of your products or services or ideas, right, that would be most wise for your audience to pay attention to, because that's the thing that's going to produce the best choice for them. By this thing that you have that is uh, your differentiator, the, the one thing that uh, sets you apart. And then take that concept, whatever it is, and have a cue to it before people ever experience the case that you're going to make for them or the offer that you're going to make for them. That way, they will be sent uh, in a in a direction that makes them pay attention to the thing that would be wisest for them to consider in um, your offer. I think that's important, yeah, that it's the, the wisest for them, not the, not the wisest for us so much. Right. So if, you went, if we went back to that furniture store example, if that furniture store had as its differentiator low cost, that was the thing that was most valuable um, um, about what they offered to the to their customers. They should not put fluffy clouds on the, on their background background wallpaper of their site, even though that might increase their profit margin because people would be buying more expensive furniture. No, they should put coins there because those that would cue people to the thing that's most valuable for them to be focused on within this uh, set of offerings. Mm, definitely. And so it's always, I like that. And it's, it is an important ethical consideration to make that I'm sure that if you, as you say there, if you, you know, co- coerce someone with the wrong intentions towards something that you want, then perhaps it's a very short term um, interaction. It's not going to be a long term um, relationship there whatsoever. Just as we sort of right. s- circle up now, we always like to ask the people we speak to, what are some of either the books that have been most impactful on your life and, and career, or what are the books that you most recommend for, for readers? Well, I think let's, let's go with the second of those. Uh, I 
typically recommend uh, books such as Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely, uh, Drive by Daniel Pink, uh, Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath, uh, another book called Grit by Angela Duckworth. Those are the books that are uh, available now and that I think do the best job of um, translating the insights from behavioral science uh, beyond the uh, boundaries of academic disciplines. Yeah, fantastic. And um, just to, to finish it off, where can, where can people find you and, and what are your next projects? Well, um, certainly they can find most information about me at my website, influenceatwork.com. That's all one word, influenceatwork.com. And what I'm doing now is looking at a particular problem that has to do with the, the principle of social proof, the idea that if a lot of other people are doing something, it's likely to be the right thing to do. So a communicator should always tell people, uh, you know, what what is the most popular of their items or that they have uh, – the largest selling uh, uh, product or service in, in the industry, this kind of thing. But the question is, what if you don't have the largest selling? What if you're uh, a new startup? What if uh, you, you're at, at the beginning and um, that isn't the case yet? Your major rival is that. Does that mean you can't use social proof? Well, most of the time, I would have to say, yes, use one of the other six principles then. Use authority or use scarcity, something like that. But we've recently found that actually you can use social proof even if you are in the minority of, uh, uh, of uh, companies or uh, maybe a, a startup by telling people that there is a trend in your direction. So, for example, that Five years ago, we were uh, only we had only ten uh, percent of the market share. Three years ago, we had fifteen. This year, we have thirty. Right? That's dramatically more successful than just telling people we have thirty percent of the market share. Uh, if you tell them we have 30%, they can do the logic, the the math and say, (laughs) well, (laughs) there's 70% of people who don't like it. But if you show them a trend to 30, now they jump on board. Uh, I love that. That's 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 one of the toughest conundrums when you're really (laughs) trying to, you know, start an idea or a business or something like that. So that's awesome. Love it. That's phenomenal. Well, um, Bob, thanks so much. We loved uh, influence. We love persuasion. Looking forward to um, hearing more about uh, what you're finding along the way and maybe persuasion one day as well. All right. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it, Adam and Adam. It was a good uh, set of questions you had for me. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's a privilege. All right. <laughs>